So hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Real Live Talk. I'm excited that you guys are here to check out today's conversation. Really, really awesome that you're here. So thanks so much for joining us. I'm excited to welcome to the show for the first time, hopefully not the last time, uh, Kashima Garcia. First of all, did I did I I know I know I've asked you this the first time that we talked, but did I pronounce your name correctly? You did. You did a great job. Almost. Thank you. <laughs> okay. You <did> amazing. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. I was about 90% sure that I was saying it correctly. Um, <laughs> but anyway, thanks so much for joining me, Kashima. It's awesome to have you with me. I'm honored to uh, have this opportunity to talk to you today. So thanks for being here. Well, the honor is all mine. Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to come on your show and have this great candid discussion that we're about to get into. Yeah, love it. Well, how about we start off here then, just really simple place. If you would share a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then we can uh, get into some stuff. Yeah, so my name is Kashima Garcia. I am an executive level human capital strategist, but I'm specifically working right now uh, in diversity and inclusion. So I am the chief diversity and inclusion officer um, for my organization. That's awesome. And can you kind of explain <laughs> what that means? Um, what what <laughs> what is meant by uh, by that? By well, first of all, let's just start there. Diversity and inclusion. Um, what does that mean? And then we can talk a little bit about what your job actually looks like. Looks like. You know, that's a great question because a lot of people ask me that, and so I'm going to say that it's actually not as complicated as it sounds. It's really mm -hmm. just about being able to value everyone's perspective that comes to the table. It doesn't really matter about your race, your, you know, your background, your origin, your religion, mm -hmm. um, you know, your sexual orientation, any of those things. So what we're really trying to do is have everyone feeling valued when they can bring their full self to work. Organizations have such a better turnout um, when it comes to productivity, when it comes to value, increasing finances, those type of things, when the people that work for their organization feel that they can bring their full self to work, that their opinions are being valued, that they're being listened to. And so my job is really just being able to, to identify unnecessary barriers, perceived barriers, and bring that to the top mm -hmm. leadership and say, hey, look, like if we can tweak this here, we can see more value here. And then also the other side of communicating with um, people who are in the organization and saying, why do you think that? You know, how can we help make things a little bit better? So it's really about having everyone's voices heard, um, you know, and like I said, breaking down the unnecessary barriers that exist. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> it sounds amazing. Um <laughs> why why is something like this um necessary if you could talk about some of those maybe common barriers that do exist and why um you are who you are and why you do what you do and you know i guess on a broader scale why this position in organizations um exists and uh yeah like why some of those barriers that do exist and why this is such a necessary position that you have well you know history is a huge part of it um you know so for us to know where we're going we have to know where we've been and we've made quite a bit of progress in history um you know i think one of the things that you know some of the things that we take for granted is um for people to 
what it means for someone to bring their whole self to work. And earlier, you know, before we we came on, you I was talking about, you know, my hair and <laughs> you know how I wanted to look a little bit younger, so I went natural with my hair. Where, you know, a few years ago, that's not necessarily something that a a black female would do. And it's because mm. of the perception of what a black female should look like. So when we break down some of those unnecessary barriers, does my hair have anything to do with my qualifications? No, it does not. Right. But the truth is, is that there's this perceived notion that how you look, your appearance and how you, you show up is, is going to affect your productivity. And that's not true. So that's just one of the examples. Um, you know, we talk about how, you know, history is a huge part of it. You know, um, when we look back, um, you know, to, for example, like the civil rights movement, you know, there was a reason why that existed. And so we have people we have right now, we have five different generations in the workforce and all that may mean something, all that means something. So how, you know, so how we treat each other, the things that we do, the things that we don't do, um, how we, we communicate, all those things are factors and we need to be aware of those things so we could do a better job at it. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And okay. So, and I know that you mentioned that you work um, that your department exists within your organization. Are you, do you do the work that you do all within a, a one particular organization or do you kind of do consulting for different organizations or how does that actually work for you? Yeah, I actually do both. Um, so I, I do, yeah. it, it is my passion. I feel like when you are doing something that you love, that it doesn't really feel like work. <laughs> and so I get, I get paid to do something that I absolutely love, which is just bring, things to the forefront. And the truth is, is that for, for organizations that want to understand how their people actually feel, then you have to be intentional about it. So bringing someone like me on as either a staff member or as a consultant means you're being intentional about your people strategy. That means that you're being intentional about making sure that everybody feels valued in your organization. That means you're intentional about growing making more money because you know unless you're an organization that's a nonprofit even then nonprofits have to make something um that means that you really want to see the return on investment and so when we pull back all the layers and we look at how organizations thrive your biggest risk is your people and you know how you grow is based off of your people and your systems and if you understand your people and your people understand the mission of the organization then that's even better so um mm. so what i do you know as a staff member for my organization and as a consultant is really bring those things to the forefront uh to organization leaders and say how can we get at this together how can we make sure that you are, you know, you're intentional and people can see that in your organization so that you can have a higher retention, higher productivity, and ultimately just make more money. Mm. So this is like a few steps beyond something like an HR department, right? Like this is somebody, a business owner or board of directors at a company or organization being extremely intentional about wanting to go to the next level. And they understand that that happens by really pouring into the lives of their their people their employees right and and wanting to create the 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 best and the safest space and atmosphere for them to really flourish and do their job effectively is is that a fair assessment 
Yeah, you hit it spot on. This is definitely beyond your HR department, but definitely working with your HR department as one of the mm. components and all of the organization leaders. Because I, I feel like sometimes in organizations we sleep on what HR does. And, um, you know, for, for um, um, a large portion of it, they do have an administrative component, but then this is also tapping into the top leadership, those executives of, of make because executives run the, you know, run the organization and, you know, kind of like set the pace of how things are going to go. So, and the HR department is really just executing on what that, that pace has been set to be. Mm. Um, so when we look at going back to intention, that's my word, right? <laughs> Being intentional, the intentionality has to come from the top. So, you know, if, if, if my department, for example, would be bogged down within the HR department, working together for sure, um, but but not having the liberty to speak directly with the executive team, probably going to be some concerns there. And I say that because that would show what the value really is to every person that is working in an organization that may feel like they're unrepresented or unheard or they just don't see, be, feel like they're being seen. Um, so mm. how can we, so definitely work with the executive team, working with the HR department so we can build a, you know, a, a flourishing platform. Um, or I would say like a, a, a place where everyone feels welcome to, to join the table, mm. to have the conversation. Well, and so when you go into, let's say, um, Let's, let's say you're consulting somewhere. And so an organization invites you to come in and to offer your services and to, are you kind of going in almost like in a forensic way, trying to get to the bottom of, you know, where some challenges may be occurring? Are you going in with a completely open mind and you just go in and start having conversations with individuals or with departments? Or how does that actually look as far as you going into a place and uncovering what may or may not be transpiring and helping to, you know, so that you can ultimately get in there and affect the culture. Right. I think uh, like any good person, uh, you know, who's coming in to do consultant work, you definitely want to do an assessment first. Um, what's so my my husband and several uh, people that have worked with me, uh, they'll say something like, you know, Kishima, you could talk to a fool. <laughs> so <laughs> I know this is what's being said about me, um, which which really means that most of the time, like you're have, we're just having normal conversations. It won't feel like you're being interviewed. It won't feel like, you know, like someone's really trying to pick him up because I'm not. Like I I feel like what things come out best when you kind of know who you're talking to. And when I say know who you're talking to, like not know me for the position that I came in to, to hold or the position I came in to support, but know me as a person. And so as a person, my goal is just to really get to know the people who I work with and mm -hmm. being able to, to distinguish their value by saying, okay, oh, wow, this is this is who you are. This is what brings in your, your, your value proposition. This is what makes you feel heard. And, you know, and those things just come up in normal conversation. So through my mm -hmm. assessments, there are different, you know, different things that are going on, right? Of course, everything is brought back into, you know, observations and official form and all that great stuff. But a lot of the information that comes, it comes from just regular conversations passing people in the hallway, stopping them and asking them how their day is, you know, um, what, you know, what do you like most about your organization, those type of things. And you'll be surprised what people would say to you when you give them an opportunity to speak. Well, and so 
I would imagine that if eventually we would transition into um, at least in some situations where you've got to get in and have some difficult conversations, right? Or uncomfortable uh, conversations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Having those uncomfortable um, conversations, I, I would say, and something I forgot to mention earlier is, by the way, I, I do my research. So uh, something that I would coin from my husband is the comment section is where it's at. So, you know, mm -hmm. kind of already knowing what you get into, some of it's confirmed or, you know, or um, evaluated when we're having those regular conversations. But a difficult conversation goes into this is what people are saying about your organization internally and externally. You know, a lot of people who I always say, like, it's not about just the retention piece. Right. But people change just like the organization changes. So over time, my employee, if I were an employee, my employee value proposition would change. So if I came to the organization as a single young female, um, you know, and then while I was with the organization, I got married and had kids. Things are going to change for me. Right. And but not only that, but your perception of me may change as well. Um, and then the, as the organization grows and flourishes, um, you know, it's important that I stay aligned with the organization's strategy and the mission and all those other things. And that changes as well. So for me to be cognizant of what those things are is important. What I realize is that as organizations grow, sometimes their focus becomes so much more on money and less on people. And if the people are bringing in the money, then that's part of the difficult conversations, right? Okay. And so to me, a conversation is only difficult if you make it difficult. So I think the most difficult piece is for the person who is hearing the information, the receiver, first to be ready to receive. That's mm -hmm. the most difficult part. Because then if you, what we'll find is we'll have leaders that are, they say that, okay, I just want the information straight up constructive. And then they become defensive. Well, you, you hired me to be straight up. You hired me mm -hmm. to be direct. You hired me to identify areas of concern. I'm bringing it to you. So if you're not ready to listen, then we got to talk about that first. Why are you not ready to listen? Why are some, hearing some of these things so difficult? How can we break down your own internal barriers? And so self-assessments for our leaders are definitely critical because you have to know what you can and cannot absorb um, and understand, you know, some of those barriers that you that exist in your own um, self as a leader, as a person. Um, and and that makes it easier to have these difficult conversations. Mm. Yeah. And so earlier you you mentioned about, you know, how people really just ultimately they, they want to feel like they're being heard. Right. And so kind of getting in there and being that liaison, so to speak, um, being able to kind of, I, I guess, you know, because when we're talking about depending on, I guess, as you said, the bigger an organization grows and the more that an organization begins to scale, you know, I don't know whether or not you've done anything with, um, have, have you ever, have you ever offered your services um, in a, like a church or ministry organization, or has it all been in the business professional world? It has mostly been in the business professional world, um, yeah, also with nonprofits, but that would be kind of cool. <laughs> Look, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, what you're talking about, I, from, from what I've seen and, and uh, stories I've heard and things like that, you know, cause I'm a pastor and I, this is the kind of thing that, um, yeah, 
feel like it, it could it's so it's so needed as well i mean there's so many blind spots that i find in 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 every ministry you know um in every organization and uh and and you know often there's blind spots that we don't want to be there but we don't know that they're there we don't realize that we're doing the things that we're doing or we don't realize that we might be excluding somebody on some basis or something like that i mean do you, how often do you find those issues so when you get into a conversation with somebody you mentioned you mentioned the uh the comment section i feel like that's back in the day that was like the water cooler you know <laughs> the, yes. the water cooler having conversations that's where you find out how people really feel about their job and so i don't know what that is today if it's still a water cooler if it's a break room or you know exactly what but but you know where where you kind of can get to the heart of issues and and challenges that people are facing i'm just curious i mean how often do you find that there are things like that where people are feeling that they might not being treated as well as somebody else, whether that's on the basis of race or on the basis of gender or something like that? And I imagine that those things are probably, I don't know. Um, well, anyway, I'll let, I'll let you I'll let you uh, I'll let you answer that question and then I'll I'll try to get my other thought together. But yeah, how, how often do you find things on that yeah. side of things? You know, so there's there's two things that, you know, and I, I bring this up because it's, it's pretty cool. So I'm going to explain it like this. There's like the golden rule and then there's the platinum rule. And so the golden rule is to treat everybody the way that you want to be treated. Right. We know that. Sure. Right. And sure. so but what we find is that not everybody wants to be treated like you. <laughs> everybody wants to be treated the way they want to be treated. That's the platinum rule. Treat everybody the way they want to be treated. And so, you know, at first I'll address, you know, as far as like being, you know, based on a religious uh, forum and bringing people to church and, you know, being able to speak the word and giving them an opportunity to, to be open to what you have to say. Um, it's interesting because when people feel like you're not listening to them and you're just like telling them what to do all the time, they become mm -hmm. shut off. And so how can you really tell me how to live my life when you don't understand what my life is, the complications that come with it, because you weren't listening. And that's a, that's a critical piece. Um, you know, so we have, like, in, in, in many, um, you know, institutions, the, the idea of come as you are. Um, but the truth is, if I brought my whole self, will you like it? And a lot of people have hesitations with that. And, in, in, you know, with really being able to say, will you like who I really am? Are you willing to accept me? Are you really are you really willing to accept me for who I am, um, mm -hmm. and and for what I can bring to the table? And so, like you were saying, across all spectrums, what we we find is people normally bring even to church their representative, right? And so their representative is who you think I want you to be. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And so. I'm going to be the, you know, the person that wears the jacket and the glasses and, you know, is always going to speak proper. And I'm not going to share with you anything that is really about me because I don't really know if you're ready to accept me. And the moment that I give you a hint about who I am, ah. mm. but, you know, so, so I, I go this way, you know, for organizations that if you are already telling people, welcoming them for who they are, Right. From the moment that the interview starts, then you won't, the organization, whether, you know, it's church or, you know, a, a business organization, isn't going to be surprised because you got who you expected to get. 
Mm. Right. And then because what happens is, you know, we go through the interview process, we bring on people. Right. And then you oh, my gosh, this person is perfect. And then you find out later on that that person isn't who you thought you hired. That's because Absolutely. they wasn't who they wasn't who they were. They they weren't who that was their representative speaking. Mm. What do you think about yeah, that? The, the whole <laughs> it's it's interesting because the whole inter interview process I always thought was um, was pretty crazy because like you go you know you're applying for a job and I I don't think most people probably don't act 100% like themselves when they go into an interview process. I mean, you know, we we bring that resume that's all like padded with all this like extra <laughs> extra information to make us sound like like we've done so much more than we really have. Um, you know, we talk in in this really weird way of, you know, my my strengths and weaknesses and we you know, we we just have conversations that we don't normally have and we of course, we're trying to present ourselves to to them in a way that they're going to hear what they want to hear. So or yeah, they're going to hear what we think they want to hear so that we can be considered for the position and all that. So the interview process is um, I think it's just one of those things that if you if you could find a way to help people relax, like what you're talking about there, if you could find a way to help people feel more like they're welcome and free and that they actually want them to to be themselves and let their authentic self come out then i think that yeah in the long run that's going to be better for everybody but yeah i feel like it's it's hard for people to to act like themselves when it's an interview kind of situation because they they kind of have this idea in their mind of what this person is looking for and so you're kind of talking about that mentality in terms of beyond the interview though like you're talking about bringing that to work with you every day even bringing that to church with you every day bringing it whatever and kind of wearing that that mask and i think what what gradually happens is little by little you start to wear less and less of that mask until the real you or where uh, more of the real you does begin to kind of unveil itself and right. uh you know sometimes it's not always the person that that as you said it's, it's, it doesn't end up necessarily being the person that they thought they were hiring <laughs> to begin with so this is true this is true I, you know i think you put it you know very well are you ever considered a career in hr like, <laughs> or oh, you're hiring. <laughs> um <laughs> but you're you're absolutely right that people come to and I, I would say this is something that we can put across just life right? Um, I have the best conversations with people on park benches. You know why? Because they don't know me and the moment is fleeting. So they'll just talk. There's mm. who they are in that moment. And so you got to think about, we are wearing as individuals, many hats. So I will take myself, for example, I'm a professional. I'm a mom. I'm a Christian. I'm a wife. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. I, I don't like, we can just continue. I'm a doctoral candidate, <laughs> you know, like just Congratulations. Depends on which area or environment you meet me is which hat that I'm wearing. And for every single event, a representative shows up. Mm. Right. Well, and yeah. so I have to be cognizant of that because the way if it was just my husband and I hanging out, um, then I would probably be a lot more looser, you know, like not concerned. Oh, my kids are here. I'm very much more concerned about my environment. 
I'm in church. Maybe I want to be a little bit more holier than thou. Let's just be real. People are like that, right? And so I, I'm my representative is going to show up. But in order to be who you are, you have to know who you are. And so a lot of the times we are just moving throughout life, doing the things that we want other people to think that we're doing. We want other people to accept us instead of being who we are. What we find is that people, you know, aren't really sure about what they like anymore. So they just kind of, mm. you know, adopt to the environment that they're in. And that's yeah. a problem. That's a problem. So the question is, is what are the things that we are influenced by and that we're letting into our lives that are changing our perspectives on who we think we should be? Mm. That was really uh profound statement very very simple but very profound you said in order to be who you are you have to know who you are yeah i like that yeah. i put that in I, I wrote that down for later <laughs> it's gonna be my book you know i'm just saying <laughs> one day when I, I was write. gonna ask you, I, I was gonna ask you if you if you have written or if you've considered writing or or what because that's a that's gold right there well, thank you. I, I am working on it for sure. Um, and, and that's definitely going to be elaborated on. And I, I think it's because this is this is stuff that, you know, it's it's always simple, you know, like from from small seeds, big, seed, big trees grow. Mm -hmm. um, and I and I think through my own journey, I realized for myself earlier on um, that I we are we're just checking the box. But the more that you allow yourself to be who you are through your self-awareness, the easier it is for you to work and to do the things that you love without effort, because mm. that's who you are. So you have to learn to live within your talent and the energy that you bring and the power because you are created for a reason. And so I, I say that because, you know, I, I was just talking to one of my very good friends and, you know, um, she was sharing, she's in her early forties and, um, you know, she was saying, but for me to, to find out what I like at this age, right. To find yeah. out like who, yeah. who I really want to be at this age after, you know, having a career and succeeding at this age, I yeah. just don't know. Well, you know, but so, but if not now, then when? If yes. not you, then then who who else is gonna do it for you? You know, mm -hmm. so you you have to 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 be aware that there are some things that you just don't mm -hmm. like. Just because you're good at it doesn't mean that you like it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's huge. That's huge, and it, it's difficult. You know, when when we, I, I think it's such a normal thing to get stuck, so to speak, in one mode of life or career or path or whatever. Um, you know, and maybe it started off with something that you wanted to do. You went to school for something because you thought it was going to be a, a good fit. And then you get there and you find out that not so much. You don't enjoy the whether it's the corporate lifestyle or what, you know, whatever kind of thing you're talking about. But you find out that it's not really a good fit for you, but you kind of get stuck there because now you've got bills. Maybe you've got a family, a couple of kids. You've got, you know, mortgage. You've got all these different things going on. And so I think it's normal for for people to kind of get stuck in a mode of life and then they find it difficult. Like the more time goes by, the more difficult people tend to find it to kind of hit that reset button and, and be honest with themselves enough to say, you know what, this is not really what I want to be doing and to make that shift. But I love what you said. If not now, then when, you know, and 
I, I'm of the persuasion that it's never too late to follow a dream. It's never too late to go after something that you're truly passionate about that you feel like is going to help the real you come out. I can't, I can't remember who said this, uh, Kashima, but there was um, but I, I love I, I just love the imagery of this statement. And it's like, when when's the best time to plant a tree? Well, 20 years ago. OK, well, when's the second best time to plant a tree today? <laughs> it's like yeah. you didn't do it 20 years ago. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. But but if you if you recognize that that tree needs to be planted, um, you know, you, there's no there's no sense in crying over spilled milk, so to speak, like it already happened or didn't happen. Right. So now, you know, what are we going to do? And and I just think that, um, yeah, like in, empowering people to feel like, you know what, it's it's OK for you to take a chance on yourself. Um, it's okay for you to step outside of that comfort zone and to really go after something that's going to be better for you, better for you and really help you discover more about who you are in the long run, you know? Well, I mean, I think that's, that's amazing. You're absolutely right. I didn't coin that one, but I'm sure going to take it. I'm, I'm going to use it. Yeah. I'm reference it right? <laughs> I didn't either, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who said it, but it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but that's that's a great point. I mean, there's there's never a good time to do anything, you know. And and a lot of the times, that's if true. we, but you know, I always well, if we we always say, I mean, at least I've heard this a couple different times. If I knew then what I know now, yeah, yeah. But you had to go through stuff. You had to go through stuff to appreciate what you know now. To have experienced the things that you have to know what you know now, you know, you're in a different time frame, a different mental state. Mm. You know, like I said, as, as we continue to grow, we, we do pick up different hats and, and that's okay. Right. That's, I think that's the, the, the thing it's, it's, you know, there's always good, bad, wrong, right. Not okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and it's, it's okay. Yeah. But if you, if you are working within your talent, if you are being who you are, if you're bringing your whole self to not just work, but to every situation that you're in, then your light will shine through. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Uh, Kishima, how did you get into this in the first place to doing what you do now? Well, OK, so great question. Um, you know, so for for a while, I guess I'll just I'll put it this way, using some words that I used earlier. You know, so um, I, I am an Air Force veteran. And I had, after separating from the military, I had thought to myself, what do I want to do? You know, so I had already started going down this path of, you know, this is what I'm, I'm really good at. At least that's what I think I'm really good at. And mm -hmm. just because like, I questioned it and I was, well, they had this like personality, you know, kind of test type thing um, where it would take some of your skill sets and things that, you know, based off of a questionnaire, what you're, what you're, what you think you would be really mm -hmm. good at. And so, um, some of some of the things that popped up showed up me dealing with people and you know like one of them was a psychologist i was like i've been to school i don't want to go back <laughs> you know um some of it was hr the administrative field but whatever it was it was dealing with people mm -hmm. so then i thought to myself well how do i get into that and so there was my representative showing up right at the time, yeah. um, checking all of the boxes and doing the things that I thought were necessary to get me to this place. Of course, there are qualifiers and so on and so forth. 
And so I, I went through that. And so for a, a great time, great deal, I was working for this organization that was amazing. I got to do what I wanted to do. You know, I got to grow within myself as a professional. And then one day my palette changed. Some of the underlying factors, what I, what I didn't realize is that even though I was doing this, what I really got excited about was this, right? And that mm. was dealing with people and yeah. helping be authentic, yeah. bringing them whole stuff to work. And that was amazing for me. And I didn't realize that that was my talent. That was my skill. Mm. And so I had to do some self-inflection, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and I wrote down to myself, um, you know, because I was really struggling with how I was going to get from here to there. And I wrote down... I, well, I said to myself, I said, well, I got I to gotta write a list on things that where I want to be in, in five years. And mm-hmm. I found that to be complicated. <laughs> I found that yeah. to be super complicated because I didn't know. I didn't know where I wanted to be in five years. But what I did know was where I didn't want to be. So I wrote that down instead. And I was able to shape what I wanted, who I wanted to be, in a sense, and what I wanted to do and tap into who I was by just being able to say what I didn't like, what I didn't want, where I wasn't going to be, what I wasn't going to do, um, because that was easier to me. Because then that, mm. that kind of opened the door to exploring other avenues and not limiting myself to just doing this, which every time that I found myself doing just that, I, I wasn't mm-hmm. comfortable. I felt so, yeah. I guess, restricted. And yeah. I don't like to be restricted. So that was one of the things that was on my list to never be restricted again. I work for options. So that's kind of how I I got into this. I just followed my true talent, the things that I was good at. And I felt like, yeah, I definitely checked all the boxes. I did all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. The only thing that I was missing at the time was that self-evaluation and knowing who I really was so I could do the things that I'm good at. Hmm. That's cool. That's cool. I, you know, I, I feel like there's people that kind of always know or always knew or they, they figured out early, you know, what they want to do with their life. And there's people that that pick something and it's it really works well for them and they stick with that their whole life. And then I feel like there's other people that are and I would put myself in this category. There's there's other people that don't necessarily have one particular thing that they're interested in doing for the rest of their life. And I feel like I know for me, it was it was tricky for me to give myself the freedom and the permission to explore different things, like even within the context of ministry, like it was difficult for me to do anything because I kept, I had this thought in my head and I, and I knew even from, you know, my teenage years and stuff like that, like I had this idea that I was going to be in ministry, that I was called to do something in that realm. But when I thought about being a pastor, I was like, I don't know about being a pastor. And then like, I, I was, you know, I thought about different things and, and it, I feel like I stagnated, I stagnated myself because I, overthought it too much. And I thought about the boxes that I needed to try to fit into and felt like those boxes weren't necessarily for me. And Mm -hmm. so I, you know what I mean? I I feel like we can do that in whatever area of life that we're talking about. And we can say, well, I don't fit into this box. Don't fit into this box. And then we can end up not doing anything 
or just doing something that's not really what we want to do. And we end up not really finding that fulfillment that you're talking about because it's not really you. And I, I just, I just love to give, I, I just love it when people can feel that freedom and that permission to, uh, again, just be who they are and to recognize that, you know what, it's okay if you pursue this for this season. And then if you either, if it either doesn't work out or you don't like it as much as you thought you did, or maybe you love it, but then she, seasons change and then you want to move on to something else. Like that's fine too. And you don't have to fit into some kind of a, of a pre-constructed box. And maybe what you want to do, what you feel like you're passionate about doesn't even exist yet. And that's even better. You know what I mean? Like to, to me, that's, it, it might seem like you don't have a clear path to get to where you want to go right now because maybe no one else has done it before or you're not aware if anyone else has done it before you don't have somebody that modeled that to you and so you don't know but yeah like you're saying just kind of being being true to yourself and going after those i call them dreams i don't know you know but those things that are on the inside of you that you feel like there's something there there's something pulling you toward that thing um i think it's important you know to to go after that yeah, no, that was that was wonderful because you're I definitely agree with you because I I feel like we all kind of experience that at some point. And you know, mm. where we first of all, we're our biggest critics and you know, we hold ourselves back from so much, especially because we do what we know. Right? Mm -hmm. If it doesn't exist, if you haven't seen it before, if you haven't, you know, experienced that, then you just you just you don't, you don't know. And then there's the fear, mm. especially as we get older. And then we, we know that there's this, you know, I guess proverbial brick wall. And we're like, well, there's a fear of, well, what happens if we get on the other side of it? You know, but what we're doing yeah. is we're limiting ourselves to whatever's on this side of the brick wall. What could be on the other yeah. side is amazing. Right. Yeah. But we'll never know. We'll never know because we're afraid of taking that next step. And some of those mm -hmm. those fears may come from, you know, our our family members, ex yeah. meeting expectations of other people. That's a mm -hmm. that's always a big one, um, right? When we're talking about representatives showing up, some of that may be in our own confidence levels. Well, what happens if I fail, right? Um, you know, some of that has to do with when we get older, we have our finances and things that we're trying to keep up, the lifestyle that we're trying to live. Maybe at this point, you're like, man, I've always wanted to, but now mm. I have a kid or children and a, and a family to, to support. And I have all these bills. I got a house, a car. I got to pay these things. And I don't know if I get on the other side of the wall, will I be able to live, right? And so all those things come into play and our variables and factors into our decision-making process. And yeah. then what we find is that we limit ourselves because we could have so much more. Right. We could have so much more, yeah. um, but we'll just never know because we're, yeah. we're here. And so, you know, you you said some, you know, some great stuff as far as like being able to give yourself permission. And for me, giving myself because I'm real logical, <laughs> I'm real analytical. So for me, giving myself permission was me writing down that list of who I wanted to be and what I didn't yeah. do. Because yeah. Understanding who I wanted to be was really understanding who I did not want to be. Mm. You know, and I think that that was it yeah. for me. That was the best thing for me. Other people have different avenues of things that they use. And that was my that was my tool. 
you know, um, being able to have a seat at the table, speaking, you're there for a reason. Yeah. You know, yeah. you've been called to ministry for a reason and then feeling restricted by it. Oh, gosh, that's yeah. a feeling Yes, of knowing that the, the thing that you have been called to do, the talent that you work so best in has been limited mm. because of the fear of the unknown, because you want to be accepted. Accepted mm. by who? If you give yourself permission, yeah. the only person that you really should be worried about is you because you got to live with it. You got to answer wow. for it. You got to live by it. So who are you? Yeah. I have some friends who in the on the ministry side of things, um, you know, had very successful ministries and did it for years and they, they wouldn't look back and say that they regret any of it. Um, but they they did look back and or they looked at where they were at the time and they were honest with themselves and said, you know what, like my heart just isn't in this the way that it used to be. And I feel like I'm not doing what I really want to be doing. And so they decided, I mean, many, you know, years, decades even into their their ministry into their position and it wasn't any kind of anger with god or the church or anything like that it wasn't a, a changing of you know religion or anything it was just recognizing you know what i i feel like i need to make a shift and do something different or have a different kind of a focus um and i wouldn't even say that they got out of ministry they just changed the context for their ministry and now they're doing something more like on the business side of things but they're still you know, being a light and a voice, and they're still impacting the lives of people, um, you know, not by preaching a sermon on Sunday morning, but by, you know, doing something different by having a different kind of impact, but still making an impact for, for the Lord and for the kingdom. And, uh, I, you know, I just think that that's, there's so much bravery involved in that. And you mentioned fear a minute ago, and how on every level, you know, if we let it to fear will just hold us back. It'll cause us to sit somewhere we don't want to be for a really long time. And it will cause us to keep our hands closed and not give away the the what we do carry. Like our you talked about talent and gifting and things like that. That the reason we have those things is so that we can impact the people around us so that we can um share it with the world, whether that's, you know, the, the scale of that doesn't matter if it's, you know, a small group of people, a giant group of people, whatever, that that's not the point. But the but the the point of you, you know, having those things that you have and being good at those things that you're good at is so that you can share it with people and impact the lives of others and use it to serve people and bless people and all of that. And I just feel like fear causes us to be so inwardly focused that, you know, we focus on our faults, we focus on those walls, those limitations that you talked mm -hmm. about. And we don't allow ourselves to push through those things to really get to that place where we're having the impact that we could have. Right. And that's what fear does. It causes us to kind of just sit on our hands and not go forward. And um, I, so I love what you're saying there about, I mean, it's something as practical and simple as I'm going to make a list of things that I don't <laughs> want to do, want to do. I mean, sometimes we need to be able to see something because, you know, we have these internal conversations with ourselves all day long and so much of it is negative and so much of it is, is, you know, it ends up being what we can't do or why we shouldn't do, or this isn't going to work or whatever. 
But I feel like something as practical as that is getting something down on paper where you can look at it and see it and you can kind of help yourself have that honest conversation with yourself. Right. So that you can then, you know, either make a decision or decide to continue to lie to yourself. <laughs> this <laughs> you know? is true. This is true. I, you know, I, I definitely feel like it's some other things that, you know, that are critical is, is mm. having the right tribe, you know. I say try Good. because, you know, having the people who are around you, we talked about, you know, influencing factors. So you have people who influence you, everything that you're doing, every exposure that you have, the moment that you wake up, how you wake up, who you wake up to, all those things influence what you do, who you are, how you act, all those things. Um, yeah. And I think that's another critical piece because, you know, those are, once again, the representative showing up and so the restrictions that we place on ourselves, um, you know, assuming that this is what other people want for you or this is where you need to be. And then there comes in a stagnation that we're talking about. Um, so here we are limiting ourselves, um, you know, because this is what we assume. And, you know, assuming is there's never really too much good things to come out of assuming there's even a quote, mm. for it, yes. you know, but there's <laughs> also a parable <laughs> that talks about talents and, you know, and how your talents are multiplied. Right. Um, and you can probably quote that any better than I can, you know, um, because, uh, because of the obvious. But, but you know, like the moment that we are we are not living within our talent, then we can possibly yeah. lose it, right? And when we are, we multiply that talent. And then, so when you were talking about your friends that were called to ministry and they were doing the things that they were doing, I look at life as a stepping stone. That was just a stepping stone. So to feel restricted to continue doing that one thing. Like no one's saying that you have to continue doing that one thing. You're growing. And now mm. for you to have that bigger impact, you need to move. You need to grow. You need to tap into the other talents that you have absorbed and you've gained during that time frame. And I think sometimes, once again, history tells us so much. But what I've seen is successful people being able to understand what's going on around them and understand the talent that they have mm. and the talent that they've absorbed and things that they've learned and utilize that to the benefit of their purpose. Mm, yeah, that's really good. Can I, can I make an observation? Yes. I, um, I feel like that process that you were describing of, you know, asking yourself those questions where I don't want to be in five years and kind of going through that whole thing and being honest with yourself and taking that evaluation. Um, it sounded to me a lot like you kind of having a, an, an ongoing sort of conversation with yourself. And my observation is, you know, it sounds very similar to what you've brought into your your career focus here in terms of having those conversations. You know, you talked about how the, you know, really the best way that you found to to really do this and to get to the bottom of what people are feeling and what they're going through and how we can help them improve is to be open with them and to have a conversation where they feel heard, where they feel valued, where they feel comfortable. So, you know, just kind of in my mind, it sounded like a lot of that stuff was correlating kind of you even starting that own process with yourself of having that. You know, I tell people all the time, I think the most important conversation you're going to have today is the one you have with yourself, because it's that internal dialogue that goes on. Like we all talk to ourselves. We all have thoughts <laughs> running through our heads all day long. And if we're not careful, those things can become so negative and we can get so, you know, just bogged down by stuff that we're really not present in life the way that we're you know, supposed to be. And, and I love the way that a, you know, simple conversation with somebody could 
you know, really unlock doors for them to, you know, feel like maybe they're being heard for the first time in years, you know? And so could you um, maybe just go a little bit deeper on sort of that art of conversation and why having good conversations with people is so important and, and needed? Yes. You know, so there's, there's always the sender and the receiver, right? So mm -hmm. uh, my, I guess like my methodology is always, you know, from hindsight, I always wonder, you know, because I was originally born in the Virgin Islands. So I have a little bit of an accent, you know? So, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that I was going to ask you where you grew <laughs> up. Um, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. So, you know, so because I have an accent and, you know, I grew up uh, to petition parents, you know, there was always the the way that the slang that you have on the, the in the place that you grew up and then the mm. proper way to do things, um, which your parents mm. always teach you to do. Yeah. Right. And so I always had to consider, especially when taking that from outside, bringing it home. Am I saying it correctly? Then I had to watch my parents struggle, um, you know, with, of course, their communication because of their accent and their slang, um, even though they weren't speaking slang, they were speaking properly. So my experience and my exposure after joining the military made that even a more critical piece because, you know, I've having my parents communication, communicating with them the things you can't say, the proper, the Queen's language, the Queen's English, you know, um, right. my, my Crucian uh, background, you know, uh, with my peers and my friends and locals, and then coming to the United, the, the, the continental states, United States, mm -hmm. and sure. having difficulty with people focusing on what I was saying, not how I was saying it was a critical piece for me. So I always had to think about, am I communicating effectively? Am I saying, mm. you know, and you you would know that where if you ask someone to do something and what they do is what you've asked them to do in that manner, right? <laughs> right? right? For example, right? right. Um, you know, so I, I that was one of the things. Then I then you start to realize, okay, so yes, success. They they understand what I'm saying, <laughs> right? Um, but or or do you do you feel the the empathy? Do you feel the concern? Do you you know? And so I. One of the things, because I'm doing it right now, is I used to be a talker like this. My hands were all over the place, and then I had to learn how to scale it back, right? Mm. And speak with my hands right here, um, because that was another form of communication. Um, and right, yeah. Or where people, depending on where you're from, that's a you know that's a diversity and inclusion thing. Depending on where you're from, you know your nonverbal communication is very telling too. Um, mm. Then I, I learned something about inflection. You know, uh, where I, I come from, my community, my, my culture, we're a lot of storytellers, you know, so, and we're long-winded. <laughs> you know, we have to acknowledge that and it's okay, uh, you know, but not everyone, you know, appreciates mm. a good story or, you know, is, is, is long-winded. But, but when you start, when you grasp people, uh, yeah. you know, attention, what do you do with that? What do you do with that one moment that you have? So... So I, I realized that once again, being cognizant of myself, how I communicated, um, the room that I was in was a critical piece. So I would always say to people, know who you're talking to. Yeah. <laughs> know who yeah. you're talking to. And you know, and, and when I say that, meaning use the appropriate, you know, language uh, or or style or 
you know, towards the situation and the person that you're speaking to. This way you can make sure that it's your communication is effective. And we go back to the golden and the platinum rule. You know, I love people who tell stories, right? Um, but because I tell a story doesn't mean that they want to hear one too, you know? So you got to feel certain situations out and, and communicate the way that someone wants you to communicate with them. So if that yeah. means you got to be a writer, write. If that means you got to be a storyteller, talk, you know? But if that means that you probably got to send hand signals and text messages, that's okay too. But am I communicating in the way that the receiver is going to best, uh, you know, get the information that I'm trying to share? Mm. That's so good. Do you think that the storytelling comes from the because it's kind of like the island lifestyle and like people are kind of more laid back and maybe <laughs> have they, they, they take a little bit more time to have conversation with people than, you know, maybe, you know, people here uh, in, in some places like bigger cities where things are kind of a little bit more, you know, move in and stuff like that. Or I don't know. I'm just Yes. Yes, uh, you know, there's, and I feel like any island can apply, um, or maybe even small towns and cities, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we're never in a rush, um, you know, and people who know me, uh, that's probably one of my best qualities and one of my worst qualities, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm never in a rush. That means that I, you know, if I see someone and, and, I, and I happen to indulge in a conversation, I could be there for an hour because I don't have any place to go. I, I want you to feel yeah. like you have my attention. Yeah. Um, but it's the worst quality if someone's waiting on you, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so um, right. <laughs> they know who I am, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, my husband has been, uh, you know, victim to that for some time. But uh, yes, there, I, I do think that it, it has something to do with your culture and your background of, you know, of not being in a rush um, of, you know, just kind of appreciating people's value. And, you know, one of the things that I, I try to do better at, especially now, is I try to acknowledge people's energy, right? And that's sometimes if they have a good energy or a bad energy, you know, in the islands, we call it vibes, right? But I try to acknowledge mm -hmm. that because if someone's doing something good, then you want them to continue to do that, you know, and, and how they make you feel is a critical component to that as well. So if someone has a strong energy, just like you do, um, you know, I let them know, hey, man, you're awesome. And, you know, the energy that you mm -hmm. bring, keep that energy because yeah. somebody needs it. There's so much impact when people just show up. Yes. Yes. Well, look, I married a Mexican woman. So uh, the uh, the taking your time and being late to things is a uh, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of part of it. Um, but but I, the reason I bring that up is to say, you know, me and me and my wife, especially when we were dating and I would definitely, you know, at the beginning of our marriage, too. I don't I don't know if I can point to anything right now where I would say this is still a problem. But at the beginning of our relationship, there was definitely challenges in terms of our conversation and just cultural differences where we were talking about things that, you know, I thought I was expressing myself in one way where it was to her perceived as something very, very different. And, you know, we would get into fights and we would have arguments. And sometimes I'd be sitting there like scratching my head. I'm sure she was doing the same thing on her end. Like, what just happened like i don't even you know what i mean like i don't even know how that got how that got away from me like how that got out of my out of my uh control uh but it, it was just cultural differences that we had to 
work through, you know, and conflicts happen because you don't know necessarily how, you know, the other person's mind is working and stuff like that. So anyway, it's, uh, yeah, those, those, uh, knowing your audience, I think you said, right. Is, a absolutely. Is a and so you, you take that, this is, you know, cause we're all in some relationship, whether it's at home or with our coworkers or at church or, or wherever. And, you know, as we go by and we just say, Hey, how are you doing? Like, honestly, that's just not enough. And so, you know, we imagine the communications that we have within our, our home relationships with our spouses and our significant others, and, and we have difficulties with them, right? So imagine how yeah. other people feel when we're not communicating yeah. effectively because we're communicating the way that we want to be communicated with, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and, and so I would acknowledge that I'm, I'm the person that wants to speak to someone. I want to speak to a representative on the phone. My husband... Mm-hmm. He is not that he would rather jump on an app, you know, and and do it that way. And our communication styles are totally different. But Mm -hmm. it did take us some time to acknowledge that we're different people and we have different talents. And, you know, there may be certain situations where he may be able to to do a better job at it. And that's okay. And there the other situations, I may be able to do a better job at it. And that's okay, too. And how we communicate Mm -hmm. with each other. You know, we've we've learned a lot. <laughs> we've learned yeah. a lot. At what point did you come to the U? Well, to the continental United States. Um, I joined uh, the Air Force when I joined the Air Force, so I was okay. seventeen years old. Okay. And where were? For, thank you for your service, by the way. And um, where were you uh, stationed initially? Oh, okay. So f- straight from the VI. I was stationed at Hill Air Force Base, Utah. I grew, I, so really? I can say that I grew up there. Yeah. So, you know, that was challenging for me um, because first of all, I didn't know where Utah was. Yeah. And then when I called all my family members, they didn't know where Utah was either. What about now? Hey. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got you. All right. Yay. I got you. Thank you. I, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> no, no problem. Well, we were um, talking about Utah. Yes, Utah. And, and you were you were in Utah, which is like crazy because you're landlocked. Yeah. And not on an island anymore, obviously. Yes. Yes. I was not on an island anymore. Definitely landlocked. Um, and that was interesting because for me being from the Virgin Islands, I actually felt um what was was it was a word. I just actually used it with someone. Um, I was, it felt, I felt so constricted and it's because mm, I couldn't see okay. the water. Right. Okay. Yeah. And sure. so that was crazy. So not mm-hmm. just the geographical differences, but then, you know, people. So, you know, mm-hmm. I remember my first day, you know, working at my, my unit and I would, um, I would come into the office. And I would say, good morning. And no one would respond back to me. And so that was a huge cultural difference for me as well, because I wasn't accustomed to that. And so my persistence, I definitely would say I got from my mother. And so what I started to do was I started to call people by their name because I felt like 
maybe they didn't know I was talking to them, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would say, you know, good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Duke. Good morning, John. And I would do that as I would walk down the aisle to my desk. And that changed um, the environment that I was in. And so... It was so it was definitely like, you know, it wasn't just, you know, the, the cultural difference of the location and the city and all those things, but the work environment um, was different. As we were talking about earlier, um, you have, uh, you know, people who just kind of fly by and, you know, we're always in a rush and, you know, coming from an environment where you're not always in a rush and you take the mm. time to say hello and find out how people are doing. Um, that was a critical component for me. Hello. Right. Sorry about that. I um no I had to different. switch computers. <laughs> I know, pretty bad, right? But I, I did yeah. switch computers and now like I'm I'm huge. Let me see if I can change that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that's good. There's the fun part of being a doctoral candidate is you need to have two computers. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, well, it's it's only nice, you know, when you're trying to, I guess it's it's expensive if that's what you mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, Doc- doctor, it's not cheap. No, it's it's definitely sure. uh, it's a time suck, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you get to um, uh, do something that you want to do, and yeah. talk about it in a manner that you want to talk about it. Uh, with limitations, of course. Um, so now I just got to figure Still, out how to. Thank you so much for your patience. I'm over here. Uh, oh no, yet. you're fine. You're fine. Look, with the amount of technical issues that I've had trying to do this podcast, <laughs> a normal person would have quit a long time ago. But I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> you're um, persistent, and that's what yeah, makes you yeah. who you are. I like it and I want to keep doing it. So I push through all the annoying stuff. Um, but yeah, no, you're totally fine. You're totally fine. And you got it corrected quick. Um, oh, did are I? Are you fine as far as you can still hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't bad. Oh, look oh. at that. It just... No, I, I wish it just did it on its own. I, I, I pressed a button. I was like, I think hopefully this is it. I don't know. You know, so yeah. 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 Okay, and what, I, what point me... in the process are you in um, as far as your uh, doctoral candidacy? Oh gosh, so you know when you are looking from the outside in, and you just you think, oh my gosh, this thing is so complicated, um, mm-hmm. and it 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 definitely has its challenges. Don't get me wrong, but there is there's two portions. There you're a student, and then like once you finish some of the course the, all the course requirements, then you become a candidate. Um, and so I'm about, so I would say I'm about two years in. It feels like two years. Who knows? COVID has like changed yeah. so much. Um, but that's also not me adding the one or two semester breaks that I had to take, <laughs> you know, um, because life happens type thing. So, but I'm super excited about it. And, um, you know, I get to like, like I said, you know, focus on something that means something to me and mm-hmm. um, kind of elaborate on it through studies and research and, um, you know, qualitative information, those type of things. <laughs> yeah. 
Are you working yet or does this come later on your doctoral dissertation? Oh, I'm in it. Yeah, I'm in the, I am in the midst of the dissertation process. Um, Mm. And so I just uh, finished my literature review, um, which, which means you go into um, some of the scholarly resources and, and find things that either support or does not support your, um, your proposed uh, topic. And so what we're doing is we're hoping to argue um, the problem. Right. Um, so it's, right. it's pretty cool. Cause then you get to, you got to take your bias out of it and mm-hmm. really just look at things in a holistic manner and say, well, what are some of the things that affect it, um, affect this yeah. problem altogether. So it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Are you able to share what your focus is? Yeah. So I'm getting my doctorates in strategic leadership. Um, you mm-hmm. know, cause we talked about intentionality um, yeah. and uh, my, my proposed topic is 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 focused on performance management. Cool. Awesome. Well, yeah. congratulations. That's super cool. Well, don't congratulate me. Yeah. I still gotta, you know, I gotta <laughs> degree. You know, I could be like two semesters out and still <laughs> Hey. Uh what 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 were we talking about earlier? I'm trying to it's not it's a little fuzzy in my brain now. What were we talking about earlier about uh you know, never too late. Something, something along those lines. Just keep, you know. If not now, yeah. Then- just, just keep, just keep pushing through that brick wall. I feel like there was yeah. a brick wall in our conversation at some point. Yeah. Yeah, we gotta definitely find our way. You know, either we go around it, under it, over it, through it. You know, build the door. Yeah. Find a way. Build the door. <laughs> build the door. Sledgehammer it down. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Use yeah. the tools that are at your disposal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so cool. I, you know, when we got disconnected this, the second time, I'm not sure. I know, I don't even know exactly where we were. I feel like, is that what we were talking about? We were talking about the, the, your doctorate program. We were talking about my move to the continental U.S. Yeah. Yeah. So, So oh yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. So you were in Utah from the U.S. Virgin Islands to Utah and, um, you were kind of talking a little bit about the culture shock experience and stuff like that, right? Yes, yes, it was a huge culture shock. Um, you know, so and it, I, if anything, I, I think that I would hope that I would I would have brought some value to my new environment because um, mm-hmm. the biggest culture shock was people not necessarily stopping to have, you know, our generic "hello, how you're doing" real conversation. You know, um, and that was that was interesting to me Um, because how we communicated. So when I would pass people by and I would say hello, it was literally, hey, how are you doing? Um, Versus, Uh you know, like, how are you really doing? And that was a huge difference for me. What I noticed was um, that although people cared, they they also cared more about getting their work done. (laughs) <laughs> right. and staying focused on their day versus yeah. building relationships so yeah. you know and my hope was to be able to do both let's get our work done while building relationships yes um, that was that was a huge part for me um is is to first understand the environment that i was in 
um, and then understand how I can bring value to the environment that I was in. And it was it was definitely very challenging because, you know, um, not only did I have to change my communication style, you know, like knowing who you're talking to, um, yeah. but also, to, and that's what we're talking about, me talking with my hands and, you know, knowing my audience and, you know, me being 17, I didn't know nothing from nothing, you know, sure. um, and it was, it was unique. Um, so, and it was, it was always every day I learned something new um, down from how we communicated to how we ate um, food. You know, I, I had learned about the proverbial casserole. Uh, okay. Not, yes. That wasn't a thing in the <laughs> it island. Was, it was a thing, right? I mean, it was yeah. like, it was a casserole for everything. That's at least that's what I was thinking at the time. Um, you know, or a salad, you know, I, yeah, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, so what's, what's a, what's a typical meal like in the, in the islands or where you're from specifically? I know yeah. some, I'm sure it's different, but well, yeah, you know, um, I would say it depends. Uh, it depends on, on what you're, what you're in the mood for, but servings are large. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Servings are significantly large. Uh, I guess we like to see people eat because if you eat, you're happy. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so some of the things that may seem like meals up here, you know, are, are not necessarily meals or some things that may seem like meals there are appetizers, you know, so it just depends. Mm -hmm. um, so a, a general plate of food, fast, what we would consider fast food is if you were, if you left the house and purchased food that was fast food um and that could a fast food place could sell rice chicken um you know salad soup mm -hmm. just that but that's fast food um yeah, and, yeah yeah so you know we have roti which is adapted from trinidad um you know oh, yeah. we have mm -hmm. honey cake and and fried chicken those type mm -hmm. things um but my favorite is you know seasoned rice stewed chicken um those those are that's my thing um, my yeah. husband, I think that he married me because I could cook. That may have been a qualifier. I don't know. <laughs> He's not here to defend himself. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Do you, is it, do you eat a lot? Is there a lot of fish? Yeah. Well, so, so don't judge me. There is a lot of fish, but I don't eat seafood. Okay. No, I don't oh. care. Oh, you're, free, you're free you're free to like what you want to like <laughs> who i am here i could be it's a safe space yeah i, I don't it's a safe food. space we can talk about this i know these are deep issues these the are heart. these are deep issues this is your qualifier for being caribbean um you know like you have to eat seafood so yeah i don't eat seafood i see uh, i see mm -hmm. the, the assumptions you know yeah so i do receive a lot of flack oh. from from my from my people is it like <laughs> Kashima doesn't eat seafood. She thinks she's better than everybody. Is it that kind of thing? Yeah. Who, who is she? Oh, chicken. <laughs> bougie. Yes, yeah. I, I. Yes, I am bougie. So you've heard of the term. You know. You know who I am. Then yes. Yes, I am. I am bougie. I do not eat seafood. But I. I would say that um, now thinking back on it, it makes you appreciate uh, where you came from a lot more. And this is all the uniqueness of everyone's culture. Yeah. Or yeah. Every come from and the things that you can remember and you know the food that yeah. you eat and how you eat the food um i had never yes i say this i have never 
until I moved to the States, seeing it as a something typical or if people slice mango, that's not how you eat it. That's not how you eat it properly. <laughs> mm. Do you just that's, go for it? Or what do you, you just do? Go for it. Yeah, it's a whole, it's yeah. an experience. It is a very intimate moment. Uh, but that's another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> it's, like, it's like watermelon. It's like watermelon. Just... It's, you're you're going to get it on you, right? Yeah. But that's why it's intimate. You You just, you don't eat mango anywhere, you know? That is in the privacy of your own home uh, <laughs> because there's juices flowing. Don't, so, so here's a tip. Do not eat mango in a white shirt. It stains. Yeah. Good to know. Good, good, good to know. tip. Good <laughs> tip. I like it. I like it. Um, so like, I okay, I grew up in New Jersey mm-hmm. and uh, then I got married. We went to school in New York, um, but, you know, I was on the East Coast my, my whole life. And then I uh, went to college, graduated college. Um, my wife and I got married about a year later and we moved to Mexico where my wife is from. We lived in Mexico for about three years. And then we, from Mexico, we came to Alabama. Mobile, Alabama is where I'm at now. And um, on the culture shock thing, I was very surprised that I experienced more culture shock in Alabama than I did in Mexico. Oh, do tell. The do tell. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know how to explain it. It was just, it, it was a different kind of thing. So part of it is this. So I grew up in New Jersey, which is um you know it was a suburban area but there's still the influence of new york city which is not too far away and so people in new jersey are impatient they tend to be a little bit more abrasive um you know i never thought about it that way but now having lived in the south and knowing about the hospitality of the south and all that you know comparing it to the way people are in new jersey i never thought that people were rude or anything like that because i was from there and i just kind of know my people Right. Uh, but there is a little bit there can be some abrasiveness um, and uh, it's definitely fast paced and moving and stuff. In Mexico, we lived in a city. And so it's kind of that fast paced sort of um, lifestyle as well in a lot of ways. Um, very different in terms of how you get around. And, you know, all, it's like much more public transportation and walking places. And um, the community aspect of everything was really, really cool because you know, we'd be at church all day. And then, you know, after it's at night, we'd be going out, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night to eat tacos, which is like my love language, I found <laughs> out. And so it's it's all that. And uh, I felt like in a lot of ways, I kind of fit in. When I came to Alabama, there were just, I think, okay, there were things that I just wasn't ready for. I wasn't ready. I wasn't because I was thinking I'm in America. Like I'm from America, but America is pretty big. And when you're a Yankee like me, as opposed to being in the deep South, there were some major differences. And one of the things that really took me by surprise um, was the, the mentality of like segregation um, between white and black and the the differences and and it just really felt like there were some really prevailing strongholds <laughs> of yeah. that kind of thing in yeah. in the in this area i believe mobile was um one of the final you know one of the last um cities to kind of give up the actual like slave trade importation of of slaves and things of that nature and there's a lot of stuff like there's just a lot of stuff that i wasn't ready for Mm. and 
and and I think it, it through through the process of being here, I've been here for a bunch of years, and um, I work the church that I that I work with, um, that I've you know been with the entire time that I here, I would say is predominantly black, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know we strive to be a multicultural kind of a church and ministry, and um, all of that, but it's. I don't know. It was just things that I wasn't ready for. You know, I grew up in New Jersey. My mentality was like, we all, we were all together. Like we all grew up together, you know, and, and uh, we all made fun of everybody. So like, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? It was all just kind of like, we had this environment, like we would, I don't know, like if, you know, if we were, we had like a, you know, me and like, I don't know. It was like a group of people. Like if you take a group of people that we were hanging out together. Let's say there were 10 of us. There'd probably be a, a few white people, a few black people, maybe an Asian person in there or something like that. You know what I mean? Like we were all just kind of together and we were kind of equal opportunity. I, I don't want to use the word racist. I'm not, I'm not well, saying yeah, it like no, that, but, but just as far as like being yeah. able to crack jokes on each other and, and things like that. And there was a comfortability around that. And I don't know. I was just kind of surprised um, that when I came to this area that there was still so much, and, and it's, it, it's on me for being kind of ignorant to, you know, the state of where things were and still are in our country. And, uh, and it's not that there was no racism where I was from because there absolutely was, but not as pronounced, I guess, prevalent and pronounced and just kind of a, a normal part of life. <laughs> as it is here and so that definitely threw me off and just like a lot of just kind of mentality things as far as the you know the way people think about different cultures and I don't know I don't know if I'm explaining that well or not but it was perfect I think that was a big part of it yeah well because I I think to to your point you know here in the United States we we kind of have this assumption that everywhere is the same right so And I, I think that that is when we talk about diversity and inclusion is bringing this to our cognizance that we, although grew up in the U.S., like there are different uh, subcultures um, that exist in, in different environments. I felt mm-hmm. what was what was very interesting is you sharing that you went to Mexico and that seems so much more familiar uh, to where you had grew up, you know, for some time. And I, I, I guess I want to interrupt you. The, the only thing that was weird was that because I was a white person. Um, the men would look at me funny, um, seeing me with my Mexican wife, yeah. because there's kind of a little bit of a mentality there. Like, like she's one of ours kind of thing, like, in, you yeah. know what I mean? And so it was kind of, I'd be looked at a little bit of as an outsider, uh, yeah. in, but not with people that I knew it wasn't right. like that with anybody just kind of walking down the street. It was kind of like, I'd get like weird looks and my wife was more aware of it than I was. I'm not the most observant person in the world. She was always very <laughs> cognizant of things like that. Right. And uh, so there was that, but I mean, it's whatever. I was just like, yeah, she's mine. I, I moved to Mexico to be with her. So forget you guys. Like, you know? <laughs> but that, that is interesting as well, because you're, you're, you know, kind of oblivious that it's wrong because she grew up in the culture. She's aware mm-hmm. of it. Um, exactly. And how's, how is your Spanish though? It's, it's good. I mean, I I have struggles with certain words and things where I'll have to look at my wife and be like, "How do you say that?" But but for the most part, I'm I'm pretty fluent. We actually we do, for example, a um, 
a Spanish speaking service on Sunday mornings mm -hmm. and I preach and teach in Spanish and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we, so yeah, uh, you know, I, sh I struggle. I definitely get like, if I teach an hour long class, cause sometimes we'll do classes midweek or something like that. If I teach a class in Spanish by the end of it, I'm, I'm pretty exhausted Yeah, because yeah. my brain has to work so much harder to kind of stay ahead of the words that are coming out of my mouth and to yeah. be kind of like doing that. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. a lot of times I can, think in Spanish, but sometimes I have to switch back to English as far as trying to figure out how I want to articulate something. And so I end up, you know, it's not as good as my English for sure, but it's, it's good enough. I get, I get by. Well, if it makes you feel better, um, I only speak English and I still have struggles. So, <laughs> um, but you know, I say that because, you know, depending on your culture, sometimes the color of your skin or what you look like mm -hmm. isn't as big of a deal as it is here in the U.S., mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, where in other countries, you know, if you are, you know, born there or raised there or a part of their culture, like now you have, once again, we go back to that tribe and they accept you, right? Because you've been, mm -hmm. there, you know, that type yeah. of um, but yeah. I find it interesting in, you know, you moving to Alabama and then realizing that it's because it's not just your biases, but it's also the biases of the locals um, who, who live there and, you know, now understanding the challenges and having to, you know, kind of understand the history just a little bit more. And, and I think that what we were talking about before, communication, now that we've opened the door to have that communication of why you think mm. this way and yes. what some of your limitations are and and most importantly why you feel that way about me right mm -hmm. um is is another part um my husband and i when, when i so when i was living in utah he was not and so when he would come to visit me he he would feel this is before we got married or was it yeah when he, he came to visit me um you know um he would feel this negative vibe about when he walked into the room because he's dark skinned and I'm over here like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't, you yeah, know, yeah. I don't have that problem, right? But yeah. that's because I'm a female and I'm fair skinned. So mm. I didn't experience the same things that he did. I didn't understand, you know, and I have, you know, sisters and we all grew up in the Caribbean. So, right. yeah, right, you know, right. Um, so, and he had been here for quite some time or at least longer to be more aware of people's perception of him and mm. i was so new i was so new I, di I didn't get it you know we would walk into i remember we were choosing my my ring um we would walk into the store and i'm just looking around browsing thinking oh this is awesome you know i'm gonna choose that one by the way he didn't pick the ring that i chose i'm not upset about it i'm just putting that out there right <laughs> you got me a better one or anything right yeah <laughs> For the record, you know, <laughs> um, but when he walked into the store, he felt different. He felt like he wasn't given the attention. Okay. And when he brought that to my awareness, I started to be more perceptive. I started realizing. Okay. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's 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 sad, but these are the barriers that we the un, the unnecessary barriers, the the undertones, the 
the biases, the unconscious biases, yes. trying to bring to people's awareness of knowing who you're talking to and not only your own biases, but their perceived biases about you and your culture and all those other things and how that could affect how you act, how you behave, how you respond, yes. things that you say, things yeah. that you okay. When you when you know now that oh, in this in this environment, that's a bad word, or that's not necessarily or my mm. behavior or my you know reaction. You know, we even bring it into generational differences. Um, you know, now that we as as time goes by and we do better in life, my kids are privileged. You know, they'll never know how it is to you know. Uh, the good, the good and the bad, you know, pick a fruit right. off the tree, <laughs> you know, we buy right. things from the store, <laughs> um, you know, and, 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 and really have to, to look at certain things in a way. The other day, my daughter wanted some rollerblades and, and I just ordered it off of Amazon. It's 50 bucks, right? I'm, I'm, I'm over here telling you it was 50 bucks where I had to remind her. I said, when I was growing up, $50 was a lot of money. Right. Yeah. And. I couldn't just walk to my mom and say, hey, mom, I want some rollerblades. I would literally have to wait over time. But back to your story about, you know, moving to Alabama and, you know, being there for some time, I find that very interesting um, because we were talking about how the only thing you had to worry about in Mexico was, I guess, let's say being accepted. But, you know, because your wife was from there, it was it was normal. Yeah, um, right. But for for your family structure, um, did any of that affect you know your your family as well? Because um, it was definitely a culture shock for you. But what about everybody else? Uh, are you talking about on the Mexico or Alabama side? In Alabama, yeah, in Alabama. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I'd say for sure. I mean, my 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 kids don't don't notice it at all. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, we have conversations with, uh, no, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. Um, I should not say that actually, because there's been a handful of times where my, my son, I, so we have two boys and a girl and uh, my oldest is 11. And there's been times through the years where he's come home from school and would say something that somebody in his class said, or something like that, that was, um, you know, and it wasn't him saying it, it was him telling us so-and-so said this, and it would be some kind of a derogatory statement that was like racial, you know, and it was something like that. And we were like, really, they said that. And then, so it's kind of like one of those moments where we're like able to kind of, you know, explain why, you know, like why that's not good thinking, um, you know, and, and stuff like that, because, um, they would encounter that. Now my, my kids are, you know, they're, I guess they're half white and half Mexican, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess right. that's how that works. Right. Um, but, you know, you can't really, especially if they're with me, I mean, you can't really tell, you would just think that they're white, I think, you know, I think the average person, you can't really tell that they're, that they're Mexican. So they're, you know, typically, I think they're really just, they're treated like they're white kids. Um and uh, I don't know what that means or doesn't mean. I'm just I'm just saying. But no. yeah, uh, you know, my my uh, my wife being a Mexican, she gets weird stuff. You know, um, people are older people, I find, um, tend to be a little bit blunt about the way that they say things. Mm. And so sometimes people will think that my wife is Indian and, you know, they'll they'll they just see that, you know, 
whatever. They, they don't know that she's necessarily Mexican. They just know she's not American. And so they might, you know, people will guess that she's Indian or um, Arab, you know, Arabic or something like that. Like my wife has been proposed to a handful of times by Arabic men. <laughs> <laughs> like join my harem kind of thing. You know, there, were things, there were things like that. Um, not here, not not here, but uh, in New York and whatever. Anyway, it's right, crazy. Right. But yeah, so my wife works, she's a pharmacy technician part-time. And so she works in the pharmacy. And so customers come up and they'll make comments, you know, just here and there about, you know, whatever. Like there, this lady came through the drive-thru and um, basically this was fairly recently too. told my wife something like you need to go back to your country if you're not going to speak proper English. You know, one of those kinds of things that was kind of a very blatant one They're Usually they're a little bit more like microaggression type things. Mm. But uh, but that was a blatant one that she got um, within the past few months. And uh, I was like, really? Like, oof. And yes. you want to think you so, want to think things like we still do that we still say that like this is the the era exactly. that it's like huh that was that was straight up racism <laughs> like that was straight yeah. up like like no filters attached to that one it was just let everybody know how you feel so. <laughs> you know it's it's very interesting because i was just having this conversation with someone i said I, and this is gonna sound this is a safe space right so i said what if everybody were to go back to their countries let's think about mm -hmm. that Right. Where would I go? <laughs> but, um, you know, so, but I, I asked you that question, though, because um, as far as like, you know, the, the dynamics with your family being in a, in a different environment, because, you know, as a, a parent and as a husband, you know, having to receive this information, having to deal with your own thing, and then also having to, you know, to deal with your kids being exposed to, you know, other kids who are is pretty much reflecting on the environment that they grew up in the household yeah. exposed to those type of things and you know and this it influences your children their mentality their thought process and the things that you have to correct or not correct or encourage or or, or discourage and then mm -hmm. also as a husband you know um hearing your wife come back with those stories and and also having to balance how she feels you know, um, and what her greater purpose is and how she feels about bringing her full self to work, you know, because, um, yeah, that's that's always a critical piece because our, our goal is always to assimilate. So as we were talking about where I come from and me having to, in so many words, clean up my accent, you know, um, right. if someone were to right. have approached me and say, go back to, you know, where you come from, that type of thing, I I would probably feel really frustrated um right. mm -hmm. no one's been brave enough yet they probably see the attitude behind yeah. <laughs> but i'm not saying it's not gonna happen but i've grown i've grown as a person mm -hmm. <laughs> i'm able to handle that but but you know i could tell you if i were to if if i were to bring something like that home to my husband and bring that as a conversation at my table um having to not just based off of my accent um, and where I come from, I'd be pretty frustrated, you know? And I think my husband would be mm. pretty frustrated too. So um, yeah. just out of curiosity, sure. you know, how did you feel when she came home with that? Oh, I felt terrible. I was, I was pissed off, you know, that it happened, but I mean, my, my wife, my wife is very, I mean, she's so much stronger than me. 
she and uh the um that the the woman was dealt with by some by a, a higher up in the store um and was if i remember this correctly was you know asked politely to uh you know go find you know another another pharmacy to 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 visit you know um yeah. that kind of thing awesome. and uh yeah i mean she was she she works with some really good people you know and so it was a it was a quick lived thing i mean anything like that that happens i mean she's my wife i'd be like oh you know i wish i was there <laughs> like i wish i could have i wish i just could have been there right now yeah. and just to just to let words come out of my mouth make me feel good about myself and then later on realize like oh i probably shouldn't have done that um you know what i mean like <laughs> right. i probably shouldn't have done that because it doesn't really you know it doesn't what what, what is that going to do what is that going to do i mean i could i could say am i going to change this woman's mind like probably not like i don't know so anyway um i probably still would have said the words that i that i would have wanted to say at the time but um you know well, your husband, yeah, so, you're defending you know your your yeah. honor so yeah yeah but it's, i think it was i think what was most interesting was how the organization i mean i'm my hat's off like to them seriously because they said this is our employee like you're not i don't mm -hmm. you can find someplace else like we appreciate your business but we don't yeah. appreciate you you know treating our employees like that and and therefore right. you can go someplace else and bless another place right. with you because it's not that important yeah. to us and i think i think that's the Speech. point that's the point that we're trying to get after is acknowledging for organizations to acknowledge that there are people who are in your organization that experience things that you may not experience as a person. Mm, and when yes. those things happen, what will you do? Do you stay quiet or do you do something? And is it enough? Is it mm. enough? Is it going to make your employee feel valued? And yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not your wife. I'm not, I wasn't in that situation, but knowing the results of what they did, would have made me feel very valued and would affected my retention because i mean i know they absolutely. got me back absolutely yeah that's a big deal that's a really big deal that loyalty aspect you know and um yeah in any kind of organization when when people feel like they're valued and people feel like they're heard and so this uh, this brings me back, and and uh, I forgot to ask you at the beginning of this how much time you had for this conversation. We've been uh, <laughs> we, we've been going for for a while. I know we had we had a disconnection, but um, but uh, we're I'm at I, we're about at about an hour and forty minutes in, so <laughs> we can we can start to to round this conversation out. But just to kind of go you know one more time, maybe back into the importance of, of conversations and listening to people and hearing people and allowing them to express themselves. I mean, it's so important to understand, as you mentioned, where people are coming from, because like all kinds of things, whether, you know, race, gender, background, where you grew up, how you grew up, how you were raised, um, like all kinds of different things that that affect the way that you perceive words, the way and the way that you express yourself. And so I think I think um, if we could even on an individual level, um, really just learn how to approach one another from that place of, you know, what, like I'm in this conversation to actually listen to you. I think so often when it comes to conversations, Kashima, we're 
we're just thinking about the next thing that we want to say and we're mm -hmm. not really engaging with the person to hear their heart and to really be present not to mention other things that get in the way and cause us to be distracted and you know we got our phones out or we you know we're thinking about the project that we've got to work on that's late or we're thinking about our money problems or whatever that don't allow us to be fully present in those in those moments but there is something so significant about you know feeling when you're talking to somebody like you are the center of attention at that moment and that person really values you and wants to hear you. Um, just to use this example, I think I actually mentioned this to you when we were on the phone. And I don't know if you know, um, I think I remember asking you about this. I don't remember what you said, but do you know um, who Daryl Davis is? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, he is the person who uh, pretty much transforms previous Ku Klux Klan members. Um, and yeah. I think he's a blues yeah. uh, player. A blues uh yeah yeah, yeah um yeah. yeah like boogie boogie woogie stuff like very <laughs> yeah very uh very prominent figure in that area and um i i don't i don't know daryl personally but but yeah he's you know he's an african-american man and he just engages with clan members regularly and just engages in conversation with them and they throw all their hate at him in these conversations and he just sits there and listens. And then he inevitably he, he takes their stuff, which to them makes all the sense in the world because they've been indoctrinated to believe what they believe. I mean, a lot of them really truly believe that black people are less than because of this or black people are or, you know, Mexicans, whatever, like anybody who's not white, Aryan, whatever, you know, <laughs> that, that they're that they're less than because of this. And then they have specific reasons why. And it's indoctrination. And their ignorance comes from the fact that they were taught that by somebody, probably. And so he he doesn't take he doesn't sit there and take these very like horrible things that are being said about him. He doesn't sit there and take those things to heart. He sits there and he listens. Mm. And then after he listens, he 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 then has an opportunity. Well, since I've uh, you know listened to everything you've had to say, is it OK if I you know speak to you now? And he engages them in such a cool, calm, collected way. They see how intelligent he is. They see how he doesn't fit their stereotypes. Um, they see how he doesn't fit into the box of what they've been told. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember the, the very first time that it happened to him, he wasn't, you know, this just kind of happened. He, he wasn't like, I'm going to go out and convert clan members. Like, like it wasn't <laughs> that. But he was in a bar talking with somebody. And the guy says, you know what, um, this I just realized this is the first time I've ever had a drink with a black man. And he's like, what are you what are you talking about? And he's like, well, you know, I'm a Klan member. And apparently they have Klan IDs and stuff. The guy pulled out his his Klan ID and showed it to him, oh, no, wow. you know, all that all that kind of stuff. He, and but but by the end of that conversation, he was like, I can't go on believing what I've been taught to believe because you just disproved everything that they've told me about black people. Yeah. And yeah. so he he's and, and this has become a thing where clan members, I mean, it's it's um I think 60 something. I, I can't remember the number, uh, probably even grown since then, but where they've actually they've turned in, they've given him their robes and their regalia as a as an act of I'm leaving this lifestyle and I'm not gonna do this anymore. And it's because you changed my thinking. And so that's the power of hearing people and hearing their story and hearing where they're coming from 
that, um, you know, we can go in with our thoughts and our ideas and let me just tell you why you're wrong and let me tell you this and let me break down your argument and we can essentially win an argument, but not win the person at the end right. of the day. Right. And so, yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's, you know, perfect as a segue to what we were talking about with having difficult conversations. You know, um, the, the first part is, you know, for the person you're having a conversation with to listen, you know, mm -hmm. so for me as a consultant or as a professional, I would go into an organization, mm -hmm. I would listen to what you have to say, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and out of the respect, I would ask the same thing. Um, because that's technically what you're paying me for, right? <laughs> so right. <laughs> it really, you know. Let me do my job, guys. Come right. on. Right. Yeah. It, it benefits you more than me. But mm -hmm. um, but like you said, once people are able to break down those barriers and really listen, some some of the times, what I find is people just need to talk it out. So we were yes. talking about visualizing and writing things down or listening to yourself and having those conversations. Like when you say it, all, <laughs> mm -hmm. sometimes when you say things out loud, it actually doesn't make as much sense as it did when it was in here. <laughs> yeah, you know? absolutely. And then you start putting it into perspective and then you're like, wow, that wasn't what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, and then we talk about your tribe, having the people who are around you um, to pretty much help ensure that you're successful, right? It's it's not about anything else. It's really about you. Because if you're doing good, yeah. then you can impact other people. And that's how we multiply this this good work that we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I love that story about sitting down, listening, talking to people, you know, pretty much like bringing down the barriers, listening, and just really being able to say, there are some commonalities that we have. There are some yeah. things that I was wrong about, and I appreciate you having this conversation with me because no one ever yeah. talked to me like that before. No one ever respected what I had to say. No one ever really listened. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like if we we just approach you know life like that, now this is not world peace yeah. type stuff. That would be great. Sure. You know? Um. But I definitely feel like it's 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 about making us better people. Just by transforming one person at a time, it'd be great. Mm, yeah. Um, on, as a personal example, um, one day, me and uh, one of my one of our um, other pastors here at the church, um, who's African American, uh, me and him, we went to this gentleman's house who we didn't know very well, and I don't remember why, but we went to help with something. I, I don't remember what it was. But we, we went to his house and uh, we're standing outside his house and we're having this conversation. And at some point in the conversation, I, I looked down and I noticed that the, the guy, he's a white guy and uh, he had like swastikas drawn on his shoes. And I was like, well, that's strange. And then uh, we're talking and eventually, we, you know, we were helping with something. We went inside his house and we went inside his house and there was like a big like flag banner kind of thing up of like a swastika like on his in, uh, like inside the house. And we're, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm like and I'm like. I'm like inside internally. I'm like, I want to fight this dude. Like I want, I want this dude to know what it, what it, you know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. because I'm sitting there with my, my black friend and, right. and I'm, and I'm, and so I'm just looking at him like, I'm like, bro, like, like, are you okay? Like, do you like, are you okay right now? Like, do you want to leave? And he's that like, was my like, first concern. Yeah. Like, is this right. a yeah, no, that's exactly. I'm just thinking about him. 
yeah. yeah i'm just thinking about him i'm like i'm like yo this is like so offensive to my friend right now <laughs> like whatever's going on he was okay and we we went back outside and we talked to this dude for probably 30 or 40 minutes and uh he opened up and sh and shared his story and by the end of it and i'm i can't say i don't know what happened as far as his mind and if everything changed or not um i don't think i ever saw him again after that to be honest with you but uh at the end of that conversation we led him to the lord and so this guy who has this ideology of you know whatever um from this group that he's a part of and i don't know how deep into it it was he never said anything in his conversation that was derogatory against any other race or anything like that during our conversation he was kind of talking about it as more so like yeah i've been a part of this group for like a while and you know he talked about it a little bit and uh you know i think he felt some kind of community there and again we're in the deep south and like i, I don't know in other words i don't know how deep the ideology went in his mind it didn't seem to be this you know really deep-seated thing in him but for whatever reason you know he's part of this group and and there's there's stuff going on there but and I was looking at my friend like, yo, I'm ready to leave. Like we could just abandon. But he was he was fine. He was com like he said he was comfortable. And so we just kept talking to him. We and we had this conversation. And uh, and by the end of it, I mean, the dude gave his life to the Lord. And so here's this guy who's a clan member <laughs> and uh, and my, you know, my African-American friend and me were having this conversation with him about Jesus and just listened to him long enough. And and he you know, prayed a prayer with us and, and gave his life to the Lord that day. And That's so, fun. you know, again, like, I'm not saying that everybody should be, you know, th these are kind of extreme examples. And I don't know if everybody necessarily should be engaging on the level that Daryl Davis does <laughs> with people. But, but I think that the principle of it is good, right? On like whatever level, whatever level you find yourself where these conversations are happening, when you have the opportunity I mean, I, I remember leading a girl to the Lord who, you know, she was um, talking to me about her heart was broken because she was in a, um, you know, she was in a, a um, what, what sort of, she was in a homosexual relationship and her, her girlfriend broke up with her and her heart was broken. And, um, you know, she came to me to ask me a question. She's like, I know you're a pastor. Um, do you think I'm... I don't remember exactly how she asked it. If she said, do you think I'm going to hell because I, I'm gay or, you know, something like that? And and I was like, look, <laughs> that is the <laughs> that is the last thing that I like even want the, the focus of this conversation to be on right now. What I want you to know is how much God loves you, and how much like how much he cares about you and the fact that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And I just presented the gospel to her and 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 I affirmed her. Right. Like I didn't have to affirm a, a lifestyle in order yeah. for me to affirm the person who was in front of me. Mm. And I affirmed her and I affirmed the feelings that she was, you know, having and the fact that her heart was was hurting. And like and, and you know, there's times where if we could just meet with people on their level, even if we have a disagreement and lifestyle ideology political views whatever these things that we allow to divide us and to separate us and to not hear the the person who's in front of us then you know we miss we miss it we miss out on real encounters and real opportunity to speak into somebody's life and to or, or to have them speak into your life or whatever but we we miss out on real opportunity for real engagement with real people and i don't think just for example like i don't think 
I never see Jesus doing that in the Bible. Like he's he's meeting people where they're at. He's getting in the trenches with people and, and he's having dialogue and conversations with people. And in the end, he's calling them higher. In the end, he's you know doing these things, but he's not doing it in a way that's demeaning or like tearing the person down because of their lifestyle or their views or anything else. And, you know, I just think that uh, th this, this conversation is an important one. And these conversations, being able to just engage with people and to honor the person, you know what I mean? Like, you can, I just feel like we, we can, we, we miss this point, you know, we can honor the person, even if we have disagreements or challenges or if they're treating us bad or whatever, like we can still love and honor and serve um, the people that are in front of us by just even by something as simple as listening to actually hear their heart and where they're coming from. It's true. It's, it's very telling, um, you know, and and to your point for for both scenarios um, that you had shared earlier, that was you showing up. Right. That was you. Yeah not bringing your representative that was you being you you know excuse yeah. like pretty much bringing your talent into the world and saying you know for whatever it's worth i'm going to put it all on the table right and some those individuals were able to listen um and they, they respected you for it and that made them listen more that made them be open that made them be honest and that showed them a different part of who you are and gave them yeah. hope yeah. Gave them hope that not everybody is, you know, biased about me. Not everybody's, you know, thinking that I'm going to go to hell, right? And, and you're absolutely yes. right. You shouldn't talk like that. You know, um, you know, he didn't go out and be like, well, you're wrong. <laughs> you know, and right. I, I think that there's this perception that people have that, you know, is is going around thinking, well, everybody's judging me, you know, so I have to be mm. careful. And, you know, it makes them restricted and limited. And, you know, but by you showing up, by you being who you are, um, you know, just living in your talent and with your energy and letting people know that it's more than just me coming out and me telling you things, you know, right. I want you who you are. I want to meet you where you are and I want to help you. But for me to help you, I have to listen. And yes. there's just so much respect that comes from that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, Kashima Garcia, thank you so much again for your time. And I appreciate the work that you do and uh, for sharing that with us today. And uh, yeah, let's do it again. Absolutely. Thanks, dude. Thanks, everybody, for checking out this uh, episode, this conversation. I hope that it blessed you or challenged you or made you think or something like that. If it did, if you consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, anything like that uh, would be amazing. If you're watching this live, let's see, you can follow the Facebook page at DK Lamastra, and that way you'll get notified of future live events. And uh, if you're listening to this on one of the podcast platforms, subscribe, share, leave a review, something like that. Those are all awesome free ways that you can help to support this channel and make sure that it keeps growing. So thank you guys. Love you all. Have an awesome day. See you next time.